Amen. Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Then we have this, this change, if you will. He begins to describe, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt hath lost a savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set up on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And then this last portion, let your light so shine. Everybody say it with me. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. This last passage captivates me. It grabs me. Feels like it is a follow-up to what we talked about on Sunday in the sense that all of what we spake about starts with glory to God in the highest. Amen. I, I reiterate again tonight that His glory is of utmost importance. It is the apex of all that we do and we deal with. Thankfully today, as other services, we will be dealing with ourselves, our needs, and what we need to know. But may I say that all of that falls into a far second place to the first of which is to God be the glory. Amen. And so the Bible says that God is glorified in our doing good works, but it's not just the fact that we do them, but that we do so before men that our light shine unto them. Amen. So when people see something in us that stands out and is different from the world, not just for different sake, but there is something different about us because of our connection and relationship with Him, then it brings God glory. Amen. We were never meant to blend in. and We were never meant to be anonymous. We were never meant to be 
uh, uh, something that cannot be noticed, but the Bible gives us a couple of instances here. You are the salt of the earth, something that enhances flavor but makes it incredibly distinct. You are the light of the world, and you are that candlestick which cannot be hidden. And how is it that we are to do these things which brings God glory? The Bible tells us then in this, in this passage here, in these verses, he gives us what we call the Beatitudes. And it is a check uh, for us. Not a checklist, but it is a check in our spirit because the things that are listed here are not natural to us. They are contrary to the human spirit, but they are aligned with the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God that dwells within us. And so, if we are to be his, known of his, known of him, then we must become renegade against the things that are natural to our human condition. Amen. God did not save us to leave us where we were or the way that we were. Amen. We do not become just a wet version of our prior self because we got dunked in the waters of baptism. Amen. Baptism is to be a part of the born-again experience of repenting of sins, which is turning away from our former way, being baptized, which is to uh, uh, bury our past behind us as a new start. And then we are to live differently going forward, empowered by the infilling of His Spirit. And so this entire process of the new birth is that we might become new creatures in Christ. Aren't you thankful for it? Amen. I don't want to live my formal lifestyle, my former way, be what I've always been, but just now do it on a church pew. But God, I want to be what you want me to be. And it's in lessons like this, which were taught by Christ himself, that we literally get the essence of what we're to be doing. For over nine times here, he lets us know, blessed are they. And so here that we have a multitude that is being taught by Christ. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be in the audience of the Lord himself? Bible tells us those who were on the road to Emmaus were amazed because he expounded to them or explained clearly the lessons of the Old Testament starting with the book of Moses up to where they were. What an incredible gift to literally be taught by Christ himself. And so this crowd, as we are reading today, that is the position they find himself in. If we were to announce that God has decided to show up in human form, walk to the front of this house, we're handing him the mic. Guess what? It's his to do literally whatever he wants to do, right? And what would come out of his mouth? Would it be any more powerful or impactful than the word of God that has been written from us that came straight from that source? Amen. These are the words of Christ. This is the message that he gave to them, but not to them only, but to us as well. And so each of these nine instructions start with the word blessed. Blessed is he. Amen. I love how the Amplified expands this word. It takes it and it produces a definition like this. To be blessed is enjoying enviable happiness. Such joy and elation 
that others could literally be enviable of our happiness. To enjoy an enviable happiness, spiritual prosperity with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor. Does everybody in this house say, sign me up? Right? Who would not want the favor of God? I love it. Years ago, we were working on a building downstairs, and uh, we were trying to make a lot with little. We did not have a lot of resources, and, and, and we had some pretty big needs. And so I've been teaching about favor, been teaching about favor. And, and my son Isaac and I, we were in a used um, store that sold building material. And I told the boys, hey, keep your eyes open. This is kind of the stuff we're looking for. And I hear him call from another part of the store. And he says, hey, Dad, come look at these doors. And I come over, and the likelihood of finding as many doors as we needed in the size and the fit and the style that we needed, it was incredibly a long shot. But hey, let's see what he found. And as he began to point to a stack of doors leaning, I looked, and, and if we just had a blank check, we could not have went out and picked out anything we liked any better. And I counted them, and sure enough, there was not only enough, there was an extra. And, and then I, I began to measure, and, and they were exactly the right size. But I, I called the, uh, the one who was here doing the carpentry work at that time, and I said, hey, I just want to make sure, will these work? He looked everything over, Sean said, you know what, get them. They're, they're exactly what we need. And I looked over at Isaac, and he's just beaming with a grin. He goes, is this what we call favor? You know, and, 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 and they're listening. And, and to what? We can walk and live in a place where God favors his children. If you don't believe me, look throughout the Old Testament. The Bible talks about when they were carried away into Babylon. Even in their hour of captivity, still they were able to find favor. Do not allow the distress of your situation to miss the moments of God's favor despite your circumstances. God can bless you with favor despite what's going on in the middle of your life right now. Amen? And so it is that this is a life of favor that produces satisfaction, joy. It is a prosperity, not as maybe the world knows it. There's nothing wrong with money, but this is not just based on how much you have in the bank book, but it is a living a life that is full and full of abundance. And so it is that he expounds on this, and nine times does he say that those who live by these principles, they are going to be blessed. They are going to know the power of God's favor. They are going to enjoy satisfaction, completeness in life, spiritual prosperity, and enviable happiness. I don't know about you, but it's like this is the easiest thing. All we have to do is follow these instructions, and the Bible says those who do such things will be blessed. That's not some prosperity preacher's claim, you know, if you'll send in a, sow, uh, a seed offering to my ministry so I can buy a new jet, then, uh, you know, you're going to be blessed. You're never going to have a pain in your body. You're going to have new cars, and it's like winning the lottery. That's, that's not some quack message that we're talking about from someone that cannot back up their word. This is God 
himself saying, if we will honor his words, live by this teaching, we will be blessed from heaven itself. And so tonight I want to take us in, and and we could spend literally weeks upon this passage, but I want to bring us in to verse 9 itself as a continuum from this previous week's message. Amen. Verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We've already emphasized the word blessed, let you know that, that this is an incredible, incredible term. But, but I notice that this peacemakers, amen, this doesn't just say peaceful or those who wish for peace or want for peace, but there is something about the commissioning of this term. It is a term of commission. It has a duty. It has an obligation. There is a task assigned to it. If you are to be blessed, amen, to be called the children of God, you must be a peacemaker. Peacemaker, amen? So what does that look like? I love what Eugene Peterson wrote in the message when he said, you are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. You are blessed when you show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are in your place in the family of God. Each of us have a place in God's family. We have a place where we belong. But for us to find that place in God, in his family where we belong, we must practice this uh, position in this place of showing people how to cooperate instead of compete. Amen. And so it says we are blessed when we show others and when we show how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. I love how another writer expressed these terms. Their blessing is they will be identified with God as his offspring, resembling him as they practice peace. Now, I, I, I had an encounter some years ago. Um, many, many years ago, we had a wonderful family in the church. Their name was the Belevins. This was Paul Mooney's sister and, and her husband. And um, Sister Blevins was our secretary. She was my Sunday school teacher. She was an, a wonderful woman. Their family blessed this congregation immensely. And, and Brother Jack Blevins, he was a sign painter, and um, he, he, he was a wonderful man. But he was out uh, back when billboards were not printed, and, but they were painted. That's literally what he did. And so uh, he would paint all over the countryside. And so he'd be gone for extended periods of time. And as time went on, they moved to another part of the country. But I saw him back in Greenfield painting a sign here locally. And I pulled over as, a, as an older teen. And I got on my car and I said, hey, Brother Belevins. And he looked down from the sign. And, who, who is that? And I told him who I was, and boy, here he come down the rungs, and uh, he comes out, my goodness, John, so good to see you. And as we began to talk and catch up, here I am kind of as a young adult talking to an elder in my life that I've not seen for quite some time, and he begins to, he, he begins to say things like this, man, he said, you, you talk like your dad. 
He goes, you remind me a lot of your dad. And so we talk a little longer, and he goes, you've got his mannerisms and his gestures. And he just shakes his head, and he says, I can't get over it. He said, I've not seen you for some while, but he said, you really remind me of your dad. And so as we finished our conversation, I began to walk away, and, and he, he's watching me go back to my car, and he calls after me. He goes, you even walk like your dad. And I turned around and looked at him. I said, hey, buddy, when you got legs this short, there's only so many ways you can waddle now. That's, that's just the way it is. But, but we resemble our father. We, we resemble our parents in our mannerisms, in our behaviors. Yes, in our physical form, but often even more in our expressions. And so, blessed, what, is, what more blessing could we have? than to be said of us that we resemble our Father, that we resemble Him. We are identified with Him as His offspring. You can't deny Him. You walk like Him. You talk like Him. You act like Him. You behave like Him. There is no greater honor in this world than for it to be said of you and I that we so are associated with the God of all heaven that we remind people everywhere we turn of who it is that has loved us so immensely. Could we just celebrate that for a moment right now? Would you just come on? Lord, I want I want people to see you in me. I, I don't want my attitude to show. I don't want my hang-ups to show. But God, I pray that you would let me become who you want me to be, that they might see you in me. Amen. But I love what this writer says. Their blessing is they will be identified with him as his offspring, resembling him as they practice peace. As they practice peace. As they practice peace. It's one thing that you'll notice. It doesn't matter... Uh, what someone does, what their skill is, what their art form is. You do not become a master unless you are some sort of savant. You do not master something without putting in the time and effort of practice. Amen. One writer put it like this. He said, the common thing among those who master, whether it's a sport, a skill, an instrument, or otherwise. Malcolm Gladwell in the book Outliers said, the common uh, denominator between all masters of what they do is they have spent an average of 10,000 hours doing what they do. 10,000 hours doing what they do. You say, I could never be that good. It's possible that you might if you spent the time they have doing what they have done. Amen. So it's just a simple matter of practice. We have seen that from sports to the arts and instruments and whatever. It's what you practice. It's what you do do a man that becomes natural. You would learn muscle memory. You become uh, attuned to response and react in certain ways without even thinking. Why? Because you put in the practice. You don't have to try to remember the lines. You don't have to try to remember the words. You don't have to try to remember the rhythm, the beat, or otherwise. Why? Because it has become second nature through practice. 
I propose to you today, it's not enough to go through the steps of salvation, to be born again of water and of spirit, to park yourself on a pew and say, now... Come on, Holy Ghost, do your thing. I'll just sit here and wait until you do. Thank God we do understand that we cannot do it within ourselves. We must receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon us so that we can do what God has called us to do. But we must put works with our faith, and we have got to practice, amen, what has been preached. And so we will never become good at the things I wish somebody would would hear me right now because somebody's about to get a revelation. You can sit and wish and wait for God to do something in your life, but until we put it into practice, amen, until we put it into practice, amen, it will never materialize into the gifting. And so some of us are waiting on somebody to provide us with an opportunity, a position or a place or to empower us. But I got news for you. The Bible says your ministry and your calling, it will make room for you. God will provide opportunity. If you have not been given a position up front or an opportunity up front, then find a place to do what you're called to do where you are. Do it behind the scenes. Do it where people can't see it. Do it where people have no idea what you're doing. Do it, amen, on the day-to-day in the background. And God will provide you the greatest stages, amen, man that you ever walk on not because you have earned it or deserve it but because you have positioned yourself and come in alignment with his word with your action amen and nobody and nothing can keep you from where God will elevate you amen and so there's this thing called practice and we've just got to do what we know to do in fact I'll hit it from another way the Bible says for him to know to do good and not do it for him that it is a sin. I read a scripture Sunday after service that smacked me in the face and literally just rattled me. And it just simply said something like this, that we have all been given understanding and wisdom, but if we do not put it to use and practice, it will be taken from us and given to another. My God in heaven, I cannot sit on what I know, I cannot sit on what I've heard, and I cannot sit on what I've received. But if we expect and we hope to receive more understanding, revelation, teaching, then God, I've got to do something with what I have been given so that I can be counted worthy, amen, for doors further to open for me. And so this writer says, and I, I, we just can't, we can't get enough of this, but he says we must practice peace. It's not enough to believe in it. It's not enough to wish for it. It's not enough to want it, but we've got to practice peace. So what does that look like? Let's observe the Lord himself in a situation of turmoil, if you will. Mark 34 and 39. Mark 4 and 39 says, And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, I know tonight we're talking about blessed are the peacemakers. And most of us coming off of Sunday sermon understand that we are talking about peace among men. And so you say, hang on. You're going to a, a, an example of where Jesus comes walking 
the waters, where Jesus speaks to the storm, where Jesus brings calm. And you're inserting this into our lesson tonight, yes, because I understand though it's a literal weather condition, there are some incredible circumstances in this passage that illustrates what I believe God wants us to understand about our original text. Mark 4 and 37 goes on to say, And there arose a great storm, we know it's a great storm, of wind and waves, beat into the ship, and it was now full. So much could be dissected and pulled out if I, if I had the time tonight to go into the depths of this passage, but let's look at it for just a moment. The Bible says it is full. The ship is full. The ship is to the point of sinking. They have uh, they have called on the master because they are so worried about their condition. They are about to go under. These are men of the sea. They know the capacity of their boat, and they are about to die. And they speak to him, and they are concerned because what was outside the boat is now inside the boat. It doesn't belong. There's been some displacement. There's some problems in the ship. Nobody knows what I'm talking about here, but there are times in our life when all the stuff that should be kept outside somehow gets inside and it will sink us. It will drop us. It will cause our level to drop. And, and there's some things, I'm just going to say right now, there's some things that do not belong in our spirit. There's some things that do not belong in our marriage. There's some things that do not belong in our home. There's some things that do not belong in our life. There's some things that do not belong in our conversation. There are things that do not belong in our thought life. And it is the work of the devil. Aren't you grateful to know the Bible says for this reason did he come? To undo the works of the devil. It is the work of the devil to get all the crud outside that has no place inside to a place where it doesn't belong. Amen. So first we understand there's an adversary. And this is a work of opposition for the Bible says the boat is full because the wind and the waves have beat their way into the ship. It wasn't one uh, one blast of wind, but it was a it was one blow after the other. It was one wave after the other. And often we can withstand, you know, an attack or an affront or a situation, but sometimes it just feels like it's never going to end. It will never stop. It just, you know, I could have taken that and I could have taken this, but I can't take this continual constant thing. And so it is that, that we become full and filled up because of the constancy of what we're dealing with. For the Bible says that the wind and the waves beat their way into the ship because there arose a great storm of wind and waves. So we see here a collision of the elements. Now notice, the wind had its place. If there was no wind, those men in that boat would have had no mobility. Problem wasn't the wind. They needed the wind. Problem wasn't the waves, the water, because without the waves and the water, there would have been no capacity to go across the sea. These things in their right 
place were essential to their progress. I want you to understand that we often wish we could erase the conflict from our life, but if we erase the conflict, then we would erase the needful ingredients to accomplish our purpose. I'm going to back up and say it again because we need to get this. I know it's Wednesday and we're sleepy, all right? Amen. We wish everything that created the conflict would go away. The problem is if the ingredients for the conflict disappear then the ingredients for your success and what God wants you to do to fulfill your purpose would disappear. Be careful what you pray God to take out of your life. The problem wasn't the wind or the waves, it was the pressure that created the storm and caused these things to get out of place. In nature, all storms are created by a combination of opposing forces due to pressure. We're experiencing right now unseasonably warm weather. Why? Because you can watch and literally across the face of the earth, there are weather patterns. What are they? It's pressures. It's high pressure. It's low pressure. There are southern winds bringing warm weather. There are winds that would normally bring precipitation. And because of the combination of pressure, and it's not even pressure due to where we are, but it's pressure that started all the way over in the Pacific. And because I believe it's an El Nino year, all these weather patterns are creating a warmer than normal, less precipitation than normal, and that is what's causing the weather that's outside. It's all a result of pressure. Can I tell you today that the elements are there for you, either to drain you and destroy you or build you and cause you to be the best that you should be. Amen. The issue is not with what is around you, but it's the pressure that has come into your life to create havoc. Amen. Maybe the enemy is not the enemy. Maybe the problem is not the problem. Maybe we need to look outside of the source of our frustration and wonder what's really behind the situation in our life. Is that all right? Amen. And so uh, there's a few things we understand about this, that, that it's this combination of opposing forces. Amen. That, that create this pressure. What, what is this common denominator of pressure? What is it? Amen. The Bible tells us, amen, that all contention, all contention comes from pride. Pride. Ego. Self. Pride. We have imagined pride to be the boastful, chest-thumping Walk through the room, I'm the biggest, the baddest, and the best there is. And we say, oh, look at that pride. But that's not it, my friend. Amen. That's one way that it manifests. The same pride that boasts and lifts up is the same pride that pulls down. If I can't beat you, I'll just make sure you don't succeed as well. And so we pull down that which seems to be getting ahead of us. We pull down others. And so that negative uh, 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 pulling down is the same source as that which lifts up. Amen. Ultimately, the, the goal of pride is to exalt self above Christ. 
And so if the instructions of the Lord are to be peacemakers and to live peaceably among men, amen, what is the purpose of contention? What is pride doing in our life? But it is causing us to be rebellious, to live against the word of God. In other words, saying my feelings, my wants, my rights are higher in value and regard than your word. I hear what you say, Lord, but my, it's, it's not fair, it shouldn't be this way, it, whatever. And when we put our feelings, how we think about it, our thoughts above his, we have now exalted ourselves above God. That's the work of pride. Okay, that's the pressure that has come in. Usually the storm is not the storm. But behind it somewhere is an element of pride. And so it, I, I, I wish I could take it out of there because this one smacks me upside the head all the time. All contention, all contention comes from pride. It's in the book of Proverbs. You can read it for yourself. Amen. So it is, this, it is, the, it is the opposition. It is the pressure that is working its way into every situation. And, 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 and as soon as you overcome one, it'll come in a different way. Why? Because it wants to create pressure producing opposition. Why? Because it wants to get things out of order. Do you know what God did on, 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 on the, the third day of, of creation? First day, he introduced light. Second day, he, he, he come in and he changed the atmosphere. Third day, he began to create order and establish boundaries. Amen. This spirit that says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to cause the waves to go where they shouldn't and the wind to go where it doesn't belong, and I'm going to create all this chaos and all this uh, havoc in your life, all of that, it is in direct opposition against the order of God's word. God says, let there, and he said that rivers, you can only go so far. Oceans, you can only go so far. Winds, this is where you belong. And all the natural elements of the earth, this is your domain. And so when this, when this storm arises, what is it doing? It is challenging the word of God that spoke and told these bodies of water in places where they had their boundaries. And so once again, it's always in opposition to God's word and to God's will. It is, it is that which lifts itself up, up against God and says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. And so it wants to create new boundaries, new borders, and it wants to create chaos. And so uh, that, that's the pressure. Amen. So what we got to understand is that if things have been able to be pushed out of place to places they don't belong, then the flip side of that, do you follow me, is there is a natural state, and there is a natural order, and there is a natural place of belonging. We want to get rid of these things that are causing us problem. The problem is not that they're in our life. The problem is they are out of order. The problem is they've gotten out of bounds. We don't need to toss out everything that's that's creating frustration and irritation and pain but we need to get them in their rightful place does that make sense i don't want to get too far off this path but let me explain something to you right now if you're expecting to live a tension-free life that's delusional okay because You've got the creation. You're, Lord, I'm already getting into Genesis, and we're not there. But we're going to touch on it for just a second here. You've got the creation, 
first three chapters or first two chapters of Genesis, you get the fall, and then you get the results of the fall and the downward slide thereafter. All right? All right? After the fall, the Lord begins to pronounce some curses on things. He doesn't curse mankind, but he curses the ground. And, and, and we think, you know, when I get to heaven, if Adam's there, I'm going to slap him because I've been working out in the heat all day. And, and you know, if it wasn't for him, we, hadn't, we wouldn't have to work. That's nonsense. Adam and Eve worked in the garden. The difference in work before the fall and after the fall was after the fall, there would be frustration in work. That work, because in the, in the beginning, their work came to them. The Bible says God sent the animals that they might be named. That's work. But he had it work with them and toward them. Afterwards, he says, you're going to plant the ground, but everything you plant is going to be thistles and rocks and stones. It's going to be miserable. It's going to make you miserable. God introduced frustration point I'm trying to make. He looks at husband and wife that he created them for. And he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to create frustration here. You're going to want his place and he's going to want a Lord over you. Hello, frustration. We've been dealing with that since the, since that moment. Why? It, it's not that he was cursing us. In fact, if anything, if life would have went on as peaceably after the fall as it did before the fall, why would they have ever needed God? Catch this, this because this is a big, big, big deal. It was because of the frustration of work, working. You ever get tired of your job? Ever get sick of the boss? Ever get irritated and say, I can't take anymore? You can get mad at him. You can kick the cat. You can cuss the wife. You can tell them, take this job and whatever. But here's the reality. At some point, you've got to get a hold of your spirit. Okay, how do we do that? God, I can't fix this in myself. I need your help. And we turn to the Lord. What do we do when we find ourselves in conflict in the home? We turn to God. Without the introduction of frustration, we would not turn to a God that can help us. It was the mercy and the grace of God that allowed there to be the introduction of frustration so that we would come back to God. And the Bible says, and they began to call on the name of the Lord. Why? Because I got problems and I need help. And it's the problems in our life. It's these things that if we could just get rid of the problems. And here's the reality. As long as we are alive, we're going to have issues that we need help with. And that is the mercy and the grace of God that puts them there to keep us on our knees. And so the purpose of this message is to make us realize that the people and the situations in our life are not the problem, amen, but it is sin, it is natural, and it is the nature of darkness to stir things up, to cause us to rise against one another and against the things in our life to produce this friction. What we have got to understand, amen, is through Him, because we can call on Him, we we have the power, and let's get into that here in just a second, to make a difference in these situations and not always live in reaction to them. We can live in reaction or we can take a, a, a position of assuming the control or the authority that God has given us and make a difference. And so uh, uh, there is a natural state. Every element that is frustrating your life, there is a purpose and a place for it and there is a way for it to get back where it belongs. But we cannot just 
be in conflict with it. We've got to take authority over it. Here's what we see. With the wind swirling about them, the clouds over them, with the water pounding down on them, with the the boat wallowing in the waters, Jesus did not get entangled with the conflict. Jesus did not get entangled. He did not... Well, when, well, wait, yeah. He did not get entangled with the conflict. He simply spoke peace. He did not wallow in the mess. He did not become frustrated because of the circumstances. He began to simply speak. Bible says greater things than these shall ye do. It's time for the church to take its rightful place. We do Christ and all that he did for us a disservice when we look to the heavens, throw up our hands and say, well, I can't do anything about it. What would happen if men and women who look like their father, who are identified with their daddy as children of the Most High, would begin to operate in the authority that he has given us and we don't engage the fight, we don't wallow in the fight, we don't engage in the elements, we simply began to speak words of peace. He spoke peace into the storm, he restored order, and he returned the elements to their rightful place through the power of of words. I want you to understand our words are more, are more powerful than we might feel or realize because the Bible says we have the power of life and death. It's in the tongue. Amen. Now we can often emphasize the negative there. Our words can kill. Our words we can destroy hope. We can destroy ambition. We can destroy potential. We can destroy affection. We can destroy love. Our words have the power to kill. But the Bible doesn't say our words have the power of death only. It said life and death. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. If we have the ability to tear down, destroy, and kill with the right words, then do we not also have the power and ability to build up? I'm not talking about fluffing somebody up like a pillow, but my words and yours, because of Christ, have life. Amen. The disciples understood this when they looked at Jesus, and he said, you're going to follow the rest of them? and leave me here as well. And they said, where could we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. I want you to understand every one of you who are children. That's why the Bible says in this passage, amen, those who who practice being peacemakers, amen, are identified with their father as his children. You will never be more like your daddy than when you come into a situation that ought to knock 
you off your feet or destroy everything that God has given you. But at some point, you began to speak life into that thing. I refuse to allow fear. I refuse to allow doubt. I refuse to allow hopelessness. I refuse to allow to destroy what God has given me. But I speak joy. I speak peace. I speak hope. I speak the blessings of God. I speak the power of God's Word into my home, into my house, into my marriage, into my children, amen, into my finances, into every element of my life. you got a problem that's causing you turmoil? Speak into it the words of eternal life and release the power of God into that thing. You can complain about it, it won't do a thing. You can murmur about it, it won't change a thing. You can fuss about it, it won't do a thing. But try speaking life into it. Stand with me. Restoration, and that's what Jesus did. He restored these things to their proper place. Restoration. The Bible says we have this ministry of reconciliation. We have... There are a lot of people, they want the ministry of prophets, they want the ministry of apostles, they want the ministry of speaking, and, and all. Of, and I, I ain't got a thing against it. I hope God uses you all more than, than we can even imagine. But God help you if you can preach a phenomenal sermon, but don't know what reconciliation is. God help us if we can go across the worlds and we can plant seeds of the gospel on every continent, but we don't understand what it means to reconcile one brother to another. Because this is the ministry to which we are called. That's what your Bible and mine says. We have this ministry of reconciliation and restoration is a work of ministry. Why? A work of mercy. Why? Because restoration requires me to remember And such were some of you. Let me tell you what restores us faster than anything is for me to remember, I need the same mercy I'm giving you. But I wasn't at fault, and so I shouldn't have to whatever. Oh, really? Okay, maybe today. But what about yesterday when you were at fault and somebody had to forgive and be gracious? So the reality is, Anything I've ever given in mercy pales in comparison to the mercy I've received. I'm going to say it again. Anything I have to give in mercy pales in comparison to the mercy I've received. And so restoration is a work of mercy. It causes me to remember that I was the one that was down. I was the one with the attitude. I was the one that needed to repent. I was the one that needed to make things right. And somebody was gracious enough to allow me the kindness of getting back where I belong or I wouldn't be standing where I am today. Closing with Galatians 6 and 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest you also are tempted. I like what Ren Ryder, I've not been able to find it and and just take it for what it is. But he said this speaks to people who have not who have never fallen. This is not speaking about people who are on a pedestal in a place from which they have never toppled down. 
But he said, if you look at what is being said here, he is talking to those of you who have ever been down and had to get up. You go restore that one because you know what it feels like. And there is nobody that can reconcile and restore like somebody who has been restored. And so tonight, blessed are the peacemakers. They make peace. They don't wish for peace. They don't hope for peace. They don't just like peace, but they create peace. How? Because they practice changing situations by speaking words of life that diffuse. Understanding that there is a common enemy and the one that they feel opposed to is not their opposition, but an adversary that has driven forces against one another, creating and introducing pain, causing conflict that is only allowable because this thing we have in us called pride. And so when we come to a point of realizing There's nobody that's ever needed mercy like me. I can reconcile and restore. I choose to. I will because it's something I will practice. It's something I will put into action. It's something I will do to ensure. Why? That God may be glorified. After all these blessed, 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 we want to look at, okay, if there's all these blessings in the things we do, man, let's do it so we can get blessed. May I remind you, the end result is not so that we can be blessed. We will be because we've done them. But it's that he might be glorified because people see a difference in us. Anybody can get mad and hold a grudge. Anybody can be rude to one another. Anybody can say unkind words and not take them back. Anybody can have a, a schism that can, can invade a church. Anybody can get in a place, in a position where pressure and ego seeks to destroy all that is good. But it takes somebody that's willing to step up. So I'm going to be a peacemaker here. Not because I'm better, but because I know of which I've been forgiven. And I refuse to allow anything come between me and God, me and you, and what God is doing in this church. Is that all right? Could we lift our hands to heaven all over this room right now?